0: Now you know the rest of the story.
1: Asistencia
0: Welcome to the rest of the story. Dwayne Rollins here with Christian Hennage. Joining me from over in the UTK. Christian, thanks for joining me this morning.
1: Hi, Dwayne. Glad to be back.
0: Um, just wanted to start with the stuff with, what, happening with Carlisle United and, and the flooding up there. It's, a, it's kind of a, a sad story that has a bit of a you know, feel-good feel in terms of what that team has, has decided to do to help out locally. Can you just give us a bit of an update on what's happening up there and, and what Carlisle's doing?
1: Yeah, so the, the area of Carlisle is quite uh, often flooded, unfortunately, when we have high rainfall. And the club's Twitter account confirmed last night that the players had had discussions amongst themselves um, after travelling back from the FA Cup fixture and decided that they wanted to help in, in any way possible. It impacts one of the players personally in, in Danny Granger because his fa- family have a farm there and they've already lost a, a significant amount of, I believe, livestock and, and also part of the farm itself. So the players all agreed that, I think, within safety reasons uh, or within safety, they would help anyone they could in terms of trying to get possessions, um, just the house in general back to order, and, and just essentially pitch in with the, the local community because those same people who are now affected are also the ones that, that turn up and, and support them week in, week out.
0: And I heard the stadium's, uh looks like it might be out of commission out of for a little while as well. Eh?
1: Yeah, it's it, it's still underwater. It's it, it's often one of the images that that kind of sends itself around the the country when when these floods do happen. Is is their stadium underwater, and it's it's a tough one for Carlisle in general, the whole flooding situation, because I think they've had more than a month's rainfall in the space of the, a few days, and they were told the last time this happened it was a once in a a lifetime event and and here we are kind of just a, a little bit of time on and, and the same things happened again unfortunately if not worse
0: yeah it's unfortunate we hope that uh, hope that gets fixed not you know the football is one thing but uh, obviously the people that are affected we hope all is well there moving forward that's uh let's move into some premier league issues it was kind of uh, one of those weekends again where the every time you think you know what's happening it, it switches it's been quite the year so far uh, let's start with the, that city stoke game and and just what what's up with City? Is it the injuries? Is there more going on there? Is, is there something you can put your finger on is exactly what the problem is with that club and its lack of consistency this
1: year? I just don't like them defensively. I think when, when Vincent Company isn't there, things look a lot worse for them. And it's just little things you pick up on. I mean, if you look at the first goal, for example... Bakari Sanya, first off, he should be goal-side. That's one of the rules I remember always being taught as a youngster is stay goal-side on, on the man that you're marking. He doesn't really track his man. He's checking back and forth two or three times, and it's a simple case of Mark Arnautovic gets a yard on him. Again, the second one, it's, it's poor marking, and, and when you try and say, well, well, what's the problem there? It's a lack of organisation. Now, one thing I always quite admire about Vincent Company, having been lucky enough to see him in person, is that he's incredibly vocal he organizes not only the defence but the midfield in relation to the defence and and overall he he knits those two portions of the team together expertly. I don't see that same harmony when he's absent. If anything I I see two centre-backs be it Nicolas Otamendi and Elekin Mangala or even Demicheles that that don't really know how to communicate that well. Um, I think it perhaps could be a linguistic barrier I think it could just be a, a genuine lack of realisation for what's needed, but either way it, it definitely impacts it, and I think if we look throughout company's entire time at, at Manchester City, whenever he's been absent they've tended to suffer he's been a nigh irreplaceable player for them, and it's, it's impacted the whole team, and I, I think on the one hand that speaks highly to him as a player, it also concerns me if I'm a Man City fan, because again, they are a club that aspire not only to win the Premier League, but also Champions League as well, and they seem completely undone by the absence of one player, which is never a, a good position to be in.
0: Yeah, and they have been hit by the injuries as well. I want to talk a bit about Aguero as well in terms of his consistent injuries. And I, I know we can't get into people's heads, but this seems like a player is made, either can't fight through pain or is made of glass. Is there something wrong with the, the constant injuries he's ha- he has, or is it just bad luck? It
1: It's... It's unfortunate in the sense that it's what we call niggly issues. It's it's not huge kind of you know tendon. Uh, it's not cruciate ligaments going on or, or big kind of long periods out. It's just these small nicks that keep you out for maybe a month, six weeks, something like that. I would be inclined to say it, it, potentially his his training schedule isn't helping either. I remember Craig Bellamy, another former City striker, he had a similar kind of situation in his career where. He would have a few games and then he'd pick up some kind of strain or, or something like that. And it wasn't until he got to City that he actually worked with a, a very talented Dutch fitness coach who put him on a much more regimented fitness plan so that he wouldn't overwork himself. Because essentially that's what these kind of strains are. It's it's, it's overworking the, the body and the muscles in question. I just wonder if they may be better serve trying to analyse what is the best plan for him because the temptation is to put everyone on the same plan just for simplicity's sake. I think you need to be a little bit smarter than that and and adapt to the players that you have. We always talk about Ledley King, for example, just doing bike work in between games because his body couldn't really do much more than that without it breaking down in some way. So I think bad luck, that to me is a little bit too easy a route to go down for this one. I, I think it's it's certainly not you know, a good fortune for the man, but I think it's something they could at least try to manage or even try and help avoid with a little bit more forethought.
0: Let's move on to the other upset that caught people off guard this, this past weekend. That's, of course, Liverpool losing to Newcastle. We thought Liverpool was on that right path, that they, they looked like maybe people were talking about them having a potential as a title contender again, and then uh, then there's this setback. Um, is this just a blip, or, or is there something more concerning that you saw on the weekend?
1: I wouldn't say concerning is the word what I would say is it's something they need to work through and, and it's something that actually came to the fore quite early on for Jürgen Klopp if you look at some of the Europa League ties that he faced even the defeat to Crystal Palace at, at Anfield, when Liverpool have been asked to to lead the game and dictate the game they have struggled um, that was unfortunately for Jürgen Klopp something that kind of haunted him towards the end of Dortmund as well as the teams did a what Newcastle did yesterday and sat off and said, come on then, break us down, play through us. Newcastle did that yesterday, even though they were the home team, I think because they realised that if they tried to go out, essentially what would have happened is the high pressure of Liverpool would have found them out, it would have picked them off and it would have opened space for those players to, to really hurt them. I think that's part of the problem there, is, is that this current Liverpool team, it works best when it has space to, to operate in. If you shut that down through your players yourself or through your shape, I should say, then you essentially limit their ability to play. And I think it was very telling that towards the end they were trying to get in behind, but the passes weren't crisp enough. They weren't kind of the right uh, strength for the the space that was in behind there. And it just kind of hinted at the fact that actually they don't have maybe that really crisp midfield player to, to play into those dangerous positions. And I think equally... Christian Benteke was isolated quite significantly on Sunday. I think too often he was expected to do things on his own. And equally, in the brief moments during the first half where they could play it in behind, the pass wasn't good enough. I don't think he's fast enough for that kind of thing. So it just surprised me that, that Jurgen Klopp went for the changes they did because I would have been tempted to, to throw Daniel Sturridge in there from the start and say, look, let's just see how long you can last. If it's 20 minutes, then you know we, we've learned where you're at in terms of your your fitness timeline. If it's 60 minutes, even better. But in general, I I just thought they were were poor. And and credit to Newcastle on that end, I guess, that they played the game expertly and got the result they needed.
0: Fair enough. Um, I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the team at the top that uh, that everyone likes to to talk about in terms of a nice story and that. But when does that nice story become something that, uh, that other clubs are going to need to take a little more seriously and uh, sort of look at as a legitimate contender? I don't think, even as I say this, I don't think to win the title, but certainly to maybe capture a European spot for next year.
1: I would say February 1st. I think January 1st is a little bit little bit harsh. The Christmas period will, will decide a lot of things because again, riding through that when you've got a game on Boxing Day, you've got a game on the 28th and then you've you've got a game not long after early January, that can really take things out of a team and it can really test not just your, your stamina physically but also your mental strength because you've got to refocus constantly, you've got to react to changing situations. So I said once they've got through that in January with the FA Cup in there, with the potential for maybe one or two bids for the likes of Mares and Vardy or a few others, and then equally the chance themselves to, to invest in some new players potentially. Okay. Then you'll have a better grasp of, of where this Leicester side sits. I, I think you're right, though. In many ways, it's, it's a beautiful story, and it's one that, that I think took time. You know, you look at the the stars of this team, Vardy, uh, mares and, and someone that doesn't get as much press, Danny Drinkwater, someone who I've quite enjoyed, all signed in the, the championship, all kind of came for... The really modest fees and now have shown that actually you know developing your own is the best way to do it admittedly they didn't call the academy but they were, were signed with the intention of being nurtured slowly and i think they've they've done just that
0: all right let's turn our attention before we get to fifa turn our attention briefly on on european competition this week just to, what are you looking forward to this week in terms of the champions league and europa league uh well, what what are the storylines that we should be watching for
1: well, I, I think you've got a, a few different intriguing ones personally. I, I'll be tempted to keep an eye on Arsenal just because <laughs> maybe it's schadenfreude to a to a degree because you know, they've they've got a lot of pressure on them now, knowing that essentially they have to get the job done. At a place that isn't the easiest to to go to. I think we can can all agree that. Equally, I, I think you're you're maybe training your eye to wolfsburg Manchester United, because at the minute I think it's fair to say that that relationship is is most definitely on the rocks between Louis van Gaal and, and the supporters. So you're looking to see if maybe they can spark something in Europe because they do seem to, to flip between Jekyll and Hyde, Manchester United at present. So there's that as well. Personally, I think on the, the Wednesday, you've also got Chelsea v, v Porto. It, it's a chance for Jose Mourinho again to try and rebuild a little bit of that reputation, show a little bit of, of that pragmatism that we've, we've come to associate with him and, and doing it against a former side while it may hurt him slightly, I think it will be a necess- necessity for, for Chelsea if they're going to continue with him at the helm.
0: All right, let's move to FIFA, uh, unfortunately, in many ways. Uh, more a more CONCACAF and canobal this past week with the arrest that went down the pipe. Are, are we anywhere near the end of this? Are we starting to see the the end of when the, the arrests are going to start and the reform might start back up. Uh, what, what are your overall thoughts on the situation that unfolded in FIFA this week?
1: I think there's more mud Pardon to you? be found, personally. Uh, I, I think, again, as you touched on there, they've made arrests, and, and I think anyone eager bait. to know more should just follow Sam Borden, because the man is, <laughs> has practically encamped himself in Switzerland, it seems. and I think... The arrests are essentially the first stage of a much grander situation where you, you get to the bottom of this and you work out who did what, why they did it, what else, there, or who else should I say they are connected to as a consequence. 15 more minutes. It's just a very murky world at the minute, FIFA. And it, it's not something that, that's that pretty. And I guess in some ways it's, it's a relief that we can kind of surround ourselves in, in the actual football and almost distract ourselves from it in many ways. I think, unfortunately though, there will be more to come, and I, I think really you know, a, a new broom sweeps clean, as they say, and, and I struggle to see a valid case for anyone that's currently at FIFA staying at FIFA, because you have to believe that they were complicit in, in this going ahead, whether they said something or not.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fair point, and I, that brings me to my next question. It's a bit of a broad sweeping one, but... But what does reform look like at FIFA? Everyone talks about reform when we want reform, and I think a lot of people are overly focused on, on where World Cups are held rather than what actual long-term, day-to-day reform looks like at FIFA. So let me just ask you that. What does reform at FIFA look like?
1: It's interesting. When, when you try to fix a process, it's very rare that you can use one word to best surmise it. You need to be slightly more detailed. In the case of FIFA, I think transparency is is the condensed version of what you do, because it's a, an organisation. Equally, I think in in football in general, at the minute we live in an interesting dichotomy where we never have more access. We've never had more access to news and information, yet we've never had less transparency. I think in the way that a football club is run. I think the same applies to FIFA in the sense that we need more transparency. We need more ability to see what the inner workings of that machine is because again it's that idea of if you have nothing to hide then you should not be afraid of transparency in theory and i think pertaining to the the world cups i think the reason people focus on that is because in the eyes of many it is the the cornerstone or the, the sure piece of fifa is where they choose to take this this traveling circus that itself is is a curious situation where for want of a better word, they kind of suck dry clubs, uh not clubs, excuse me, countries on a four-year basis. They give themselves tax breaks and and all these kind of things, and and again, their cash reserves are vast, literally huge amounts of cash sitting in bank accounts, and yet we talk about on a on a domestic level, you know, kids' clubs struggling to to be able to fund themselves, lacking the infrastructure, the kits, you know. And you question, well, why isn't that money being given by FIFA, be it philanthropically or or just in January to support the next generation of the sport? And and again, it it falls into that line of transparency. Why why is there so much money there? Where is it going? What is it doing? And I think, again, it's perhaps a a tad myopic simply to say, get rid of everyone involved and just put new people in. Because power corrupts, essentially. Especially power that's not monitored. Um, So I think Yes, by all means, get new people in, vet them equally, but make them accountable for, for a change. Make it so that you can literally see everything they do when they're, they've clocked into the office.
0: I was noticing when the arrests were coming down last week, there was a lot less sort of banter and attention that was going on uh, as opposed to the past. Are, are we in danger of hitting fatigue with this story, Christian?
1: I think so. I think it, it's difficult in the sense that this is a major world organization, particularly in the realm of sport. So everybody wants to know what's going on and and I think we want to know the level of the corruption just as much as anything. Now that can only come in time and, and because in the wider picture of the rolling twenty four hour news world that we live in, you have to almost fill the space with something. And yes, sometimes it, it may seem a tad overboard to, to give constant reporting constant dialogue on an issue that doesn't seem to be evolving that quickly but I think in the long run those journalists will achieve something in the sense that they will give us a true picture but as you say I think it's, it's very easy to hit that overkill point and, and to almost overstuff yourself on, on the, the constant scandal that is FIFA
0: Alright Kristen uh, before we wrap up anything you want to highlight in terms of the work you're uh, currently uh, doing now that uh, the listeners may want to track down?
1: Yeah, well, uh, funnily enough, you know, we, we talk about Europe and, and things like that. I've, I've actually just sat down with uh, a man you and I know quite well, Alexi Lalas, to discuss his time at Padova and, and more specifically the day that his Padova side bested Milan to be nil. I believe it was just over 21 years ago that it happened. So credit to Alexi for, for being able to, to remember the whole thing. Um, I do appreciate that. But it's a, it's a great story and it's, it's the kind of story I personally love to tell.
0: There it was a good times back then, and uh, certainly an interesting time in U.S. soccer history. And, and Lawless, if anything, is a storyteller, so I look forward to looking or reading that. Kristen Hennage, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Pleasure of having you. Thank you.